Charles, CEO and president of SPC Business Consulting, where we do all things government contracts. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about something that is currently brewing in uh, Prince George's County. As you know, we're located in the DMV, and so we keep a lot of our uh, case analysis that we do either federal or local to the DMV. So today, we're going to talk about Bill CB004-2023, which is the pilot project labor agreement bill that has kind of got everyone in an uproar over here. So a couple of things, just to give you some background on it. First of all, what is a PLA? So a, a PLA is a negotiation that sets the terms for employment in a construction contract. Think about it. If you're familiar with doing business with the District of Columbia, it's kind of like their first source agreement where they're basically saying, if you're going to do this project, you're going to have to hire X amount of people from this area uh, and it's going to equate to X amount of dollars on the project. And that's basically all that it is. What does the bill say? So basically the bill says a couple of things that I think are really important. One, that it's a pilot. So I know that there are a lot of people that have uh, feelings either favorably or negative, negatively towards this bill, but it is just a pilot. It hasn't been codified as as kind of the law of the land. It's just been codified in terms of we're going to do this pilot. We're going to see how it works. And we're going to see what it looks like. Um, and in addition to that, the bill kind of lays out P, the PG government's arguments for having this pilot. And their arguments, I'm, they're not terrible arguments. And they're arguments that have been made before and are backed up by statistical data from like the Maryland Department of Transportation, the Department of Transportation itself. Um, WSSC just released a disparity study that kind of echoes the findings that PG County put into this bill to kind of bolster their, their side on why they want this PLA to go forward. So what are their arguments? One is that they argue that a strategic vehicle, that the PLA will be a strategic vehicle um, for addressing the legitimate needs of, of the county, right? So they understand that the bill will provide a legitimate answer to the needs of underserved populations that have historically been excluded from the benefits of economic and career path development. This is something that, again, those disparity st uh, studies have correlated and have produced a large, a large body of research that affirms this, this, this stance that they've put in the bill. The bill also states that the county found that uh, PLAs are an effective tool for promoting access to construction career opportunities for members of targeted communities and populations, and they help strengthen community labor partnerships by establishing enforceable labor standards through collective bargaining. It states that the county recognizes that well-trained workers will earn family-supporting wages with employer-sponsored health insurance and retirement plans, which will then contribute to the economic prosperity of PG County and reduce the need for safety net services within that county. So a couple of things on this. Um, the bill also does state that it's entry level positions. So I don't know how true it will be that it's going to be um, family sustaining wages. They're going to be entry level, according to the bill. That's what the pilot plan is focusing on. That has historically been um, businesses real contention with any of these kind of set aside programs of this nature is that they don't really address high wage positions. They're typically 
Yeah, um, they're typically like day laborers or typically, you know, low entry level positions that weren't going to have large wages anyways. So I do want to point that out in the bill. It does specifically state entry level positions. So there's that. So the other points, I mean, are good points. And again, they are substantiated by a large body of data that says these things do happen. These things do occur. And we do know uh, myself included as a small business owner, that a well-paid staff member is a happy staff member. Um, that's a staff member that contributes positively to your business and then goes out and contributes positively to the economic ecosystem around your company. The argument that businesses have put up against this bill um, are reasonable arguments as well. So they have said that the reason they are not supporting it is that Black businesses don't historically have the type of relationships with local unions that uh, the non-minority firms have, you know, and it's been this way historically. So for a lot, a number of years that um, the black community, particularly black construction workers are just not part of a local union. So any benefit that this PLO, PLA, excuse me, brings objectively black construction workers and black construction firms will not enjoy it because they do not have that relationship with the union. So they'll be left out of the negotiations and they'll be forced to deal with a lot of the administrative burden of making these things work without the assistance of a union. They also are contending that there are only a handful of general contractors that are black in this predominantly black county. So to an to enforce a PLA means that you are going to narrow competition because there's already such a small amount of contractor of, of minority contractors operating in this county. The last point they make is that this PLA will effectively shut black firms out of the ability to compete for contracts, which will then hamper national and local movements for equity and inclusion um, in in the minority ecosystem. So this is a very simplistic view of a very complicated um, situation, but in essence, I do feel like they're right. When you put restrictions on a contract, historically in government contracting, there are there is a very narrow pool of minority contractors that are utilized continuously. Um, usually it's a, a core group of a couple of, of firms that the government goes to because it's less risk. They know how they do. They continuously will go to those same contractors. What that creates, though, is a stagnation in the labor pool and in diversity, right, and in innovation because it's only like, say, 10 firms that they go to. So these 10 firms basically control all of that money and then they control all the subcontractors because the subcontractors will be going after said money. Um, it's very simplistic the way that I'm explaining it, but it is a very real situation. That labor pool shrink, shrinks, um, that supplier and vendor pool shrinks. It's, it's And the, the suppliers and vendors that are not in the, um, they're not in the on-ramp with the chosen or preferred vendors are then completely cut out of the opportunity to participate in, in these contracts. So I think this is a really important and it's a really salient point that they're getting at. And I think that they are talking about things that perhaps the council is not 
thinking about or, or maybe thinking that it doesn't really affect them, which is unfortunate because it's a very big part of being a minority contractor in the, in the GovCon space. Um, there are already kind of um, few areas that exist where we can readily compete. Construction is already a hard field because it's so cash intensive. The um, the investment is, 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 is a heavy in, upfront investment, right? So a lot of minority businesses find themselves at a disadvantage right out the gate because they cannot afford that heavy cash investment to get the materials, to get the equipment, you know, to get the, the workers and then there's safety requirements and insurance requirements and bonding requirements and all of those take capital, which is not something that is readily available for minority contractors. So I think this is a really good point and it's a really realistic point that they're making. They're saying, hey, look, we understand what you're trying to do, but what we're saying to you is that traditionally, right, there are barriers to entry and we already have such a small amount of minority contractors capable of doing these types of projects to begin with. And now you're putting another barrier by putting this PLA in the agreement. Um, I do want to go back to the fact that that this is a pilot, right? So it hasn't been a fully blown program that they've rolled out. It's a pilot. And the purpose of a pilot is to see whether or not it's feasible. You know, if, if we could roll something like this out on a larger scale. But I do think that both sides have some really compelling arguments. We've seen the body of research. I mean, it's the... It, it, it's the verification of why these set-aside programs exist, right? That disparity study after disparity study has shown that minorities are at a disadvantage, you know, in the, in the GovCon space. They are at a particular disadvantage in the construction space because it is so equipment heavy and it's so capital intensive to begin. And we know that minority businesses don't receive the type of capital infusions that non-minority firms receive. We know that they don't have the types of relationships that non-minority firms have. And I do know, yes, some people will say, well, you got to get out there. You got to make the relationships fair, but that access isn't there. And that is, those are two things that minority companies continuously battle against, right? It's not the drive. It's not the lack of work. It's not the lack of knowledge. It's not the lack of capability, but it is the lack of capital and it is the lack of access. And that access probably is the most important thing, right? They don't have access to these large uh, construction firms. They don't have partnerships with these large construction firms. A lot of times they can't meet the requirements that the large construction firms set out to be a partner with them. That's an issue. If you're going to enact a, a, PLA, a PLA, excuse me, such as this one, then what you would want to do is turn around and say to the primes, ensure that there are some very, very straightforward requirements for the primes that are participating in this program and in this PLA, that it's more than just good faith. Maryland is notorious for aspirational goals, right? So let's have some goals that have some actual teeth, right? Um, make sure that these goals are realistic and can be attained by smaller construction companies because the only way to increase the supplier pool of construction companies that are able to do this is to increase the subs to them and kind of grow them up on the way, right? You're, you're going to have to build your own vendor pool. That's the only way this is going to work. And I think what the businesses are saying to PG Council is, hey, look, listen, 
we see what you want to do. We have the same goals, but I think that you're missing a really important part of the argument. And a really important part of that is there are barriers that this bill, other bills, even MBE requirements are not addressing. And these very real barriers are keeping us from forming the relationships that we need to form with unions, um, relationships with partners, relationships with agencies that will help us to build a vendor base that is capable of doing these things. So I think it's a really interesting argument that they're putting together and it is a sound argument and it's an argument backed by a lot of research and backed by more than just kind of anecdotal um, comments. It's, it's, it's backed in facts and it's backed in statistics. Statistics show that minority companies are less likely to win larger bids. Statistics shows that minority companies are less likely to be funded. The statistics show that minority companies are less likely to stay in business and are more likely to end up in regulatory and compliance trouble. And I, so I, I, I think that the argument that they're making is based in solid facts and it's based in realism but I also think that the council's arguments are based in facts and realism as well. Um, they asserted and agreed that there is a compelling economic argument for minorities not receiving work, which backs this pilot. That That's true. I think everybody can agree that that is true, that minority companies, particularly minority construction companies, don't get a fair shake. So nobody's disagreeing on that point. The problem is that both sides are using that point for both sides of the argument. So there, there's got to be a middle ground. So I think that the way to get to that middle ground is to understand that, yes, these barriers exist. They're very real. Um, it's not anecdotal. It's backed by decades of research shows that, you know, minorities continuously have to fight against these barriers. But the way that you're structuring this PLA is perhaps creating an additional barrier as opposed to breaking barriers down. And I think that if it starts from there, then we can go to areas that can make this PLA work, which is the large prime contractors, right? Create a, I don't, I don't think a mentor protege type deal is the right way to go. But I think if you create a, um, if you create maybe a joint venture type of deal where the smaller construction firms take a lot more of the responsibility for making the project work. Um, I think in a mentor protege um, creation, sometimes you will see that the mentor is doing all of the work and the protege is kind of there for the ride. I think if you do kind of a JV type of thing, um, both companies can be equally responsible, and that means there's much more risk for the smaller business, and there's much more uh, responsibility, and there's much more engagement, um, and there's much more skin in the game. And I think that's a better, it's a more palatable solution, I think, all the way around, because one of the things that you're going to hear from larger companies is that, you know, smaller businesses don't operate like real businesses. They are looking for a handout. This is a way, I think, to, to address that fear. And also 
reiterate to small businesses, just because you are a small business, it does not absolve you of being a business. You have to have the infrastructure, right? You have to have the staffing. You have to have the processes in place. You have to have the bonding. You have to have the insurance. You have to have the security protocols. All of those things go together to make it work. And I think that will also um, address the issue with the historical bad blood with unions. Um, I think it will kind of help them understand how to work with unions, what they need to do, how to position themselves. And it will also help small businesses understand how to recruit from unions, what they're looking for, the types of wages they're looking for, the types of benefits they're looking for, and how ultimately to become a, a company that can, even if they're small, that can compete full and open. And, and that's essentially what they're trying to say when they're saying, you know, well-trained workers with uh, family sustainable wages, you know, relieve the, the county of the need for safety net services. It's going to relieve the county of safety net services for businesses as well, because the businesses will lean on each other and they'll naturally form partnerships and, and, and joint ventures and go after these deals together. The problem is, is the access and the capital. And once they get those things sorted out, I do think this pilot can work. I, 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 I see what the council is doing and I understand because I don't know any other way that you would get a large prime to do this. You certainly wouldn't get them to do it on their own. So this is one way to make sure that they do it and there's a way to hold them accountable if they don't do it. Um, so this is, it's a really interesting situation. I think there are really good arguments on either side. Um, waiting to see how it plays out and what comes up, comes out of it. I mean, I, I think they're both saying the same things, just on different sides of the coin. So I'm I'm hopeful that they'll come together and maybe there'll be some solutions that kind of address that as they move forward. I think it can work. It's going to rest on how it's implemented. And that remains to be seen. So um, thank you guys for listening. You can find us on all our social media, on TikTok at, at SBC Business Consulting. You can find us on LinkedIn, SBC Business Consulting on Twitter. Uh, same thing, or you can, you know, good old fashioned email is, is a way to get us as well. If you have any comments or, or questions about this, please let me know. I'll be happy to talk about it. Thank you.